the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to The Advocate with your host, Nick Phillips. And now, here's your host, Nick Phillips. Good evening, Cleveland. Nick Phillips with you with another edition of The Advocate. Uh, Tonight, uh, we're going to be talking about uh, COVID and the current status of where we are now. And with us uh, is Dr. Daniel Megas. Dan, thank you for joining us. Well, thanks for having me again. It's good to be back. Good, good to have you here because this is such a critical part of our lives We've had it for the year and a half so far. But uh, we're, we're, as we are now, we're into the July time frame, and the question is, um, how are we doing? From what we know is that the vaccines have been out since uh, January thereabouts. Uh, we have a good percentage of the population here in, in northern Ohio vaccinated. But uh, there's still a lot of people resistant to vaccination. With people not getting vaccination, how does that impact our safety for the rest of us? Well, we've had 33 million cases of COVID up until now, 600,000 deaths. And the the uh, seven-day rate of infection is 34 cases per 100,000. So it's still around. It's still smoldering. And the, and, the, and the problem with the smoldering uh, COVID uh, condition is that you start to get these variant type of uh, uh, mutants uh, that have a survival benefit. And mostly, and, and for most of them, the survival benefit is they're more easily transmitted, like this Delta variant that we've um, recently dis- um, been discussing uh, that first showed up in India and now is the most prevalent strain of um, of uh, virus of COVID that's in the United States today and responsible for most of the deaths, even though the deaths now are, are, are much, much lower. So it's still here, although we are much improved and uh, there's far more, far less uh, cases and uh, hospitalizations and far, far fewer deaths than there used to be a year ago. Um, uh, but the, uh, the virus is not completely going away. So it is important that the number one public health uh, uh, strategy to control it and get rid of this and and keep people healthy is the vaccination program. So that's the number one strategy. And uh, those people buy into it, um, are helping the situation. Those that don't are um, helping uh, preserve and continue the the existence of the virus in this country. Um, Every country in in, in in the globe also has the same problem. A lot of them just don't have the vaccine. So even though people are willing to get it, they can't get it. And that's why it's smoldering throughout the the globe uh, internationally. With uh, regard to the strategy you're talking about uh, and the individuals who are not getting vaccine, there there are a lot of uh, conspiracy theories going around with that. What, What are some of the theories you're hearing that are false? Yeah, one of the things is, does the RNA change your DNA? 
Uh, and let me just explain it. This is complicated because very few people understand, understand it very well. It, it is very complicated. Um, DNA sits in the nucleus and it, it contains uh, the, each cell and it contains all the information that makes that cell work and does what it's supposed to do. Uh, many cells produce protein and they do this by uh, process of messenger RNA. Um, the messenger RNA takes information from the DNA, trans transfers, takes that information out of the nucleus into the cytoplasm of the cell, lines up against these organ organelles called ribosomes, and through a, tran uh, a uh, process called translation uh, RNA, it lines up amino acids that combine into proteins. The messenger RNA doesn't last very long. It's degraded right away, and the cell has to keep making more messenger RNA if it's going to continue to make um, uh, proteins. Now, what happened? What we've done is uh, the messenger RNA vaccine uh, code the cells to produce uh, the spike proteins. The um, the messenger RNA gets into the cytoplasm and never gets into the nucleus. It lines up right against the ribosomes right away, and it produces a, a, a combination of amino acids that uh, produce the protein that resembles the spike protein on the virus. It's not it, it, it's it's only a part of the virus, a small tiny amount of the virus, and it's uh, and it produces these uh, proteins that. Um, uh, that resemble the spike protein, and then the body, when, they, when the cell releases those proteins, um, the immune system, the, the, uh, the, the beta cells that produce antibodies and the T cells that, um, uh, that gobble up uh, um, uh, foreign proteins, um, are produced and stimulated to, uh, to help prevent the virus from uh, getting into the body and into the cells once, uh, once we're exposed to it. Now, uh, the, here's the concerns. The, number one, the uh, messenger RNA in the virus um, vaccine, I mean, uh, never get into the nucleus. Uh, so there's no way it can affect the DNA. Uh, when when it, um, it is, um, it is uh, modified because, uh, as I told you, the messenger RNA doesn't last very long. So you need it to last long enough in the cell in, a, in the form of a vaccine to produce the protein that and of the spike that resembles the spike protein that you need for the immune response. So they 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 modify it a little bit, but they uh, they modify it in a way to make it more stable, and and it has a nucleoside. Uh, components that that are that are present in nature normally, and they're not toxic to the body. Um, so it, the messenger RNA in the vaccine lasts one or two or three days, and then it's and it's degraded and then it's gotten rid of. So uh, it's not something that hangs around for a long period of time and cause long-term toxicity. Uh, the other concern about it is the nanoparticle. Uh, uh, structure of the vaccine. Um, this nanoparticle uh, is uh, what happens is is that the messenger RNA is anionic. That means it's got a negative charge to it. It's hard to get into the cell, so they wrap it up in this lipid, this phospholipid membrane, which is very similar to the phospholipid membrane that surrounds each cell. So this allows it almost to dissolve its way into the cell and get in there much more easily. Um, these uh, 
lipid nanoparticles uh, work very effectively, and but they've been around for a while. For the last 10 years, these particles have been used for antibody uh, uh, production versus cancer, and they've been used to, um, to produce antibodies against infectious diseases for the last three or four years. So uh, the... Uh, the, the, the technology has been around a while. It's been very, very safe, and it does not cause any undue toxicity to the body because of its um, basic structure. So, uh, number one, the messenger RNA cannot affect your DNA. The uh, nanoparticle um, particles are, are very effective, they're very efficient, and they work very, very well. Now, people worry about the messenger RNA vaccines because this is the first one that's been pr approved by the FDA. Uh, we had a messenger RNA. This, this template has been out for about 10 to 15 years. People have been studying ever since the COVID first one back in 2006. And um, a vaccine was produced after the MERS uh, scare back in 2009 and 10. Uh, but uh, by the time the vaccine was produced, uh, the, the, uh, the infection was gone, so it was never tested in anybody. Um, this mechanism is was the messenger RNA vaccine was used to produce a vaccine against the Zika virus. But again, once the vaccine was produced, the Zika virus pretty much disappeared. It was never tested on anybody because it wasn't necessary to do it. Uh, the testing here was very thorough. And it happened very quick because people, how do we get this so fast? Well, number one, the the template has been around for 15 years and it's been studied and people knew how to how to do this. Number two, um, the uh, production of a messenger RNA vaccine happens very quickly. You can do it in a matter of weeks what used to take months uh, before. And uh, uh, not only that is that a lot of people signed up for the studies right away and the virus the COVID virus is very transmissible. So it's very easy, very quickly to find out the vaccinated people versus the unvaccinated, what the, what the cases are, case numbers are in each population because it's so easily transmitted. The numbers stood out very fast. Plus the CDC and the FDA paid a lot of close uh, attention and prioritized the data. As soon as the data came out over a weekend, they digested it, made recommendations, and uh, the process was uh, in order. So it was tested very thoroughly in people of all kinds of populations and um, and races and in uh, other kind of uh, conditions, with people with high blood pressure, heart disease, people with cancer, HIV, and all kinds of uh, high risk of uh, comorbidities. Uh, so, and people who have absolutely no comorbidities. So, it it uh, the, the efficacy is very very good. The uh, safety is very very good, except for rare side effects, and we can go through that if you like. Um, so. Uh, the FDA uh, approves it on an emergency basis right away. Um, well, well, those are the major right. concerns that I'm let's, familiar uh, with. Let's take a short break. We're going to have a commercial break coming up here. Okay. Uh, we're talking to Dr. Daniel Magus about the, the detail about the vaccines and, and why they are safe and why we should all get them. Uh, and we're going to hopefully debunk some other of the conspiracy theories out there concerning the vaccines that are keeping people from getting them. We're going to take a short break. You're listening to Nick Phillips here on WHK, The Advocate. We'll be back after these words. Don't go away.
Welcome back, Cleveland. Nick Phillips with you with another segment of The Advocate. And with us tonight is Dr. Daniel Megas, uh, our expert talking about COVID-19 and the vaccines and where we are with the future of this virus. Uh, Dr. Megas, thank you for joining us. I'm happy to be here. Now, uh, as we're talking about the the vaccines, uh, we we have two different uh, flavors of vaccine. We have the messenger RNA vaccines, and we have the Johnson & Johnson, which is, from what I understand, a more traditional vaccine, attenuated viruses and that kind of thing. Uh, Is there any benefit to getting one over the other? Uh, No, they're all very similar, uh, to be honest with you, in safety and efficacy. The Johnson & Johnson that only requires one dose takes about 56 to 60 days to get the full antibody effect from it. Um, on the other hand, the, um, the, uh, the Moderna and the uh, Pfizer messenger RNAs require two doses, 21 or 28 days apart, which takes four to five weeks to get the full vaccination. So they're, 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 they're fairly comparable. Maybe you can get full uh, antibody response with the, uh, with the uh, messenger RNA a little faster than you can Johnson & Johnson. But both, depending on what's available, uh, both are very effective and very, very safe. And I would recommend either with uh, with one. Um, other concerns that maybe some people have: number one, uh, even though the Johnson and Johnson has an adenovirus uh, vector, you do not get COVID from it. You do not get an adenovirus infection. It's a totally inactivated virus. It's just a fake virus to carry the uh, um, the, the spike protein. Um, uh, data into the cell so the body can produce an immune response to it. No, it does not affect women's fertility. That's another common misconception. And then people worry about microchips or other devices. No, nobody is going to uh, track you as an illegal immigrant because you've gotten a vaccine. Um, this concern comes up with some Roman Catholics as um, fetal tissues. Uh, the, the messenger RNA used some fetal um, uh, tissue way years ago to develop the template in the ori- original early uh, uh, research studies. But um, these vaccines contain no fetal tissue, and there's no fetal tissue uh, produced or used in their production. So the Vatican has approved these wholeheartedly and encouraged every Roman Catholic to not be afraid and not be concerned for more reasons to uh, decline either of those vaccines, Pfizer or the Moderna. Um, those are uh, a few more concerns that some people have had on the side. And um, discussions have uh, gone round and round about them. Some some people think there are uh, a number of vaccine-related deaths, either for the uh, messenger RNA or for the Johnson & Johnson. Uh, are, are, is there some lethality or some bad reactions that people can anticipate or are risking? Well, most of the, yeah, many people get uh, mild things like uh, fever, chills, achiness, joint pains. The elderly don't seem to get it. Uh, people over the age of 60 seem to have far fewer side effects. The older, the younger people in the 20 to 40 year um, year old age group seem to have more reactogenicity. Um, they have a more robust immune response, and therefore that's why the uh, 
the, um, the, the, the mild symptoms after the vaccine are more prevalent there. Um, they just have a more reactive immune system, uh, which when you get when they get symptoms after the virus, a sore arm or a fever or chills, achiness, just, they last just a few days. And um, it just shows that the body's reacting to the, uh, the vaccine exactly the way it's supposed to be. Now, there are some concerns about anaphylaxis. The Pfizer had 21 cases out of the first 2 million doses. Moderna, 10 cases out of 4 million doses. These are very, very rare um, that's why when people get them, they're, they're asked to hang around for about 15 minutes afterwards to make sure there's no um, sudden re- um, reaction. If there is, it'll show up right then, and then treatment can be given very easily and very quickly and very effectively. So it's not a, a problem. Um, there is a rare myocarditis and pericarditis uh, that occurs with both of Pfizer and Moderna. Um, both are very, very rare. Uh, pericarditis well, what, what, what is an infl- How do you define, yeah, define those terms, myocarditis? Well, myocarditis is an inflammation of the heart muscle itself. Pericarditis is an inflammation of the uh, um, the membrane that covers the uh, that covers the heart. Pericardium covers the actual muscle of the heart, protecting it um, and enclosing uh, all its vessels and and, and nerves um, of the muscle. So um, typically, you would see these occasionally myocarditis and pericarditis as it responds to a virus. Some viruses can cause them. Um, uh, we see it rarely. Uh, with um, with the Moderna and the Pfizer. Both of them are relatively benign and harmless. They eventually go away, and a very, very few uh, permanent sequelae is seen in either the viral-induced or in the, uh, in the uh, vaccine-induced uh, brands. Um, the Janssen's, uh, Johnson & Johnson vaccine, uh, produced by Janssen Pharmaceutical, um, does have a uh, peculiar condition, this cerebral venous thrombosis, where rarely uh, you get clots of blood within the large venous venous vein system with uh, inside the skull, within the brain. Uh, this can be very, very dangerous and very, very fatal. Well, it's rare, and we do have treatment for it. It seems to be very similar to an heparin-induced condition that's seen rarely in people who get heparin in the hospital. Now, what happened is they uh, stopped... Heparin's a a blood thinner, though, right? Yeah, but heparin is a blood thinner, right. And what happened, it lowers the platelet levels and and activates the immune... clotting system, so you get clots. So even though it lowers the platelet count, it um, it, in, it increases the chance of clotting. And not only in the brain, a little bit throughout the body. Um, uh, they they halted uh, in administration of the uh, vaccine for a while to find out exactly what's going on, and they found out it's identical to the heparin-induced thrombocytopenia and uh, thrombosis that you get uh, rarely with the anticoagulant heparin, we see it in the hospital. Uh, but there is treatment for it. So they resumed it since it's a rare reaction, number one. We know what it is, what causes it, and we also know um, how to treat it. The same condition occurs naturally, occasionally, usually after some kind of weird viral infection. Uh, it's, it's a rare condition. Uh, in my 40-year practice, I've seen only one case of it, uh, and uh, it's... Uh, very uncommon, but it but it is treatable, and 
uh, again, very rare. So um, if it does occur, uh, it can be handled, and it's not something somebody needs to be afraid of. The trouble is... I have another question when you're ready. Go ahead. The other question is that we have the continued existence of the presence of COVID, and with uh, with that particular virus mutating fairly constantly, we now have the Delta variant that's sort of taking front and center stage. Uh, how effective are those people who are vaccinated now, either with the messenger RNA or the J&J vaccine? How safe are they from the Delta Well, it, it still protects you, but it cuts down the uh, the effectiveness. The Pfizer vaccine uh, is normally about 94, 95% effective for disease. And it's, uh, according to the Israeli study that just came out about a week ago, uh, it's only 64% effective. So it all it does work, but it's not as effective. You can still get the disease. It's still 94% effective for severe disease. Um, it used to be 98 to 99% effective for uh, severe disease. Uh, now it's only 94% effective for severe disease. Although, so the Delta variant, you still may get it, but it's uh, but it's uh, it's going to be a mild case. But it's but it, it but it, but the, but the CDC gets nervous and worried that when you get uh, one one mutant like this, um, there's no reason why the longer that this COVID is around, it's not going to mutate to another another uh, variant that's even worse than uh, uh, the Delta, more transmissible, and they're therefore more um, uh, Available to uh, skirt around the effectiveness of the vaccine, why, why, cause sure. infection despite the vaccine. So because of that, the uh, vac- vac- the uh, producers of the vaccines are are, are, uh, are experimenting with a third dose. There's a, there's a studies going on right now. Should we get a booster dose? What's the effect of the booster dose? Is it necessary, and when would it be necessary? And should we modify have, the, have the, have um, hold, the template? We're gonna have to hold up there. No, we're out of time, but. Uh... We'll have you on next month to give us another update to find out where we are with the variants and how we're doing with the vaccinations. Okay. But uh, Dr. Daniel Magus, as always, thank you so much for joining us and, and giving us this detailed scientific insight. You're very okay, welcome. Okay, we're, we're going we're to take a short break. We'll be back after these words. You're listening to Nick Phillips here on WHK. The Advocate, don't go away. We'll be right back. Welcome back, Cleveland. Nick Phillips with you with another segment of The Advocate. In the next two segments, we're going to be talking about something near and dear to my heart, and that's aviation. And uh, with us, we're going to be talking to Paul Kojel, uh, who is going to be part of bringing the Ford Trimotor out here to the Cleveland area just in a week or so. And uh, Paul, thank you for joining us. Thanks, Nick. Uh, Paul, tell us a, a little about yourself. I mentioned aviation enthusiasts. You, you have to love aviation to be involved in any of this stuff. Uh, tell us a little well, of your background. Well, uh, I uh, I was 22 years at an airline, uh, but I got my start by going up to Oshkosh, Wisconsin, to uh, a convention back in 1994. It's uh, the largest gathering of aviators um, and aviation industry professionals. And it's grown ever since the 1950s. Um, it's uh, called the Experimental Aircraft Association. Have you ever been there, Nick? Oh, I have. It's, it's sort of the mecca for aviation enthusiasts. 
Right. So I didn't even know anything about aviation um, until my uh, wife, which was my then girlfriend, uh, was working there and took me up there. And that one event uh-huh. changed my life forever. So uh, now, ever since then, you know, I've been working on my certificates and my ratings. Um, ended up with a great career at a great uh, commuter airline until it went out of business uh, from COVID in two, 2020. But it still provided me a lot of experience to uh, to continue to play with small airplanes and, and to figure out ways to um, sort of infect young people and, uh, and, and others um, uh, that have the bug in them to want to learn to fly. So we started an organization back in 2012 called Discover Aviation Center. It's out at Lorain County. It's a flying club. It provides aircraft uh, for people who want to learn, learn to fly. We do events. We do whatever we can. Uh, we took last year off, obviously, uh, but we're excited to get back into the event programs and get people out into the airport and get them, you know, to see, feel, and touch aviation. Well, when you mentioned going out to Oshkosh, I remember my first time at Oshkosh. Uh, for those of you who haven't uh, even heard of Oshkosh, it's a fly-in that goes on for about a week. And like Paul mentioned, uh People from aviation, all different parts of aviation come out there. But when you get there, there's acres and acres and literally thousands of small airplanes parked all over the grass and uh, visitors and airplanes that are performing and are there for information. I I tell you, if you are interested in aviation, try to fit Oshkosh into your schedule sometime. Uh, But, uh, Paul, we're talking today about uh, the Ford Trimotor. Uh, now, tell us about that and, and a little bit about this particular aircraft and how it's uh, how it's coming to uh, how it's coming to the Cleveland area specifically, coming into um, Lorraine. Well, so over the years, um, we'd go to Oshkosh and I'd see this big, beautiful old airplane flying, and I'm like, you know, as a as a professional volunteer, how do I volunteer to fly that airplane? Um, so several years ago, I got selected to be one of the pilots um, of the Ford, and uh, I worked with a lot of great guys. I went through the whole training program. Uh, I'm not doing it now because of last year, um, but I've, I've worked with the pilots and built their training program, and I said, this is great. So I started learning about the Ford by volunteering with the Ford at Oshkosh. Now, there's the, the EAA owns a 4ATE, which is a, a smaller version of this airplane that's going to be at Lorain County. It's a 5ATE, and uh, they have two airplanes that they take on tour with them uh, around the country. So it's sort of a living historical uh, museum, and uh, pilots and volunteers uh, chase it around the country, and we sell rides in it just to promote aviation. Um, so I got involved because I wanted to, I thought it would be the coolest volunteer job at Oshkosh. Uh, one of the things, I don't know if you know, Nick, we, Oshkosh would not be Oshkosh if it wasn't for people that gave their time uh, and volunteered their time. So, oh, of course. Uh, Vicki and I started right. volunteering with it. Um, so we've got the one that's owned by EAA, uh, which is not going to be flying this year. It's under restoration. And then we have this one, which is the 5 ATE. We call it Big Ford. Um, which is a 1928 Ford Trimotor. Now, back in the early 20s, uh, the Stout Aircraft Company, Mr. Stout and Henry Ford, Mr. Ford, got together and said, hey, I think this, I think people are going to want to fly in airplanes and not just drive cars. 
So they started designing and building airplanes. And when you think about it, without a computer, um, with just a pencil and a paper and a, and a protractor, and, you know, and a slide rule, and they started building these airplanes. So they thought that people would go from coast to coast in an airplane, and that's, uh, that's how they promoted it, coast to coast in 24 hours. They'd fly during the day, they'd, uh, and they'd land, and then they'd put the passengers on a train at night, and then they'd pick them up at the next stop. And think about it, 24 hours to go from coast to coast, New York to L.A., where now it takes about five in, in a modern-day jet. So this particular airplane is uh, owned by uh, Liberty Aviation Museum. Um, it's got a great history. I'd be happy to tell you about it. And it's coming to Lorain County uh, July 8th through 11th um, to give rides. And rides are $77. And you could actually buy the right seat also. I'm not exactly sure. I think it's about, I don't even want to guess. I don't have the right seat price in front of me. But it's a little more expensive than the, uh, than the rest of the airplane. Okay, Paul, we're, we're talking about the, uh, the Ford Trimotor and the, the version that was uh, made in 1928. One of the things I noticed about the aircraft is that it's an all-metal aircraft, and it looks like it uh, uses corrugated aluminum for uh, the, the parts of the wing and the part of the aircraft. Uh, how heavy is that, and is it something that, uh, that withstood very well? What do you think? Well, it, it's kind of funny you mention it. The corrugated part, um, so when you take a flat piece of metal and corrugate it, it actually takes more metal to build the airplane and it makes the airplane heavier. This airplane was originally certified at over 13,000 pounds. We run it uh, just over 12,000 pounds now. Um, but this particular airplane was restored, I think it was the 50s and 60s, and had flat metal put on it. And it was considered the flat metal Ford, they called it, for many years, uh, historically speaking. Um, but when they went and put it back together and restored it in the 1970s, 80s time frame, they put the corrugated metal back on it. And that metal is a, a specialty metal, and it's made uh, in dyes um, in Kalamazoo, Michigan. And uh, if you're ever interested, people from Cleveland can go out to the Liberty Aviation Museum in Port Clinton and see them actually building and putting together a Ford Trimotor. They're building one from scratch using the original plant. Well, Liberty Aviation Museum, uh, Port Clinton, that's at the Port Clinton Airport, is that right? That is correct. So if uh, someone wants a nice uh, one-tank trip here in Ohio, going out there to Port Clinton and uh, visiting, are they open all the time out there at uh, Port Clinton? Yep. Yep, they have a great restaurant, too, and they have a bunch of stuff on display. Um, we, my, my organization donated a uh, Link, an old Link trainer, 1930s, 40s, style uh, air, uh, trainer um, to the Aviation Museum. We've seen in the museum. They've got a B-25 there and a, and a TBM Avenger. My good friend Charlie owns a TBM Avenger, and he keeps it out there and on display. He actually flies it. It's a, it's a, uh, it, it is also a flying museum. I don't know if you're familiar with the TBM Avengers, but that's the one that George Bush Sr. made George popular. Bush, sure. Well, you know, one, one thing that fascinates me is the, the Link trainer, because you talk about uh, living history and living museum, uh, the, the fact that when pilots back in the uh, early days of aviation learned how to fly in clouds, they had to fly in practice, flying in things like link trainers, flying in the blind. Mm -hmm. 
so if you have a chance to get out there to the museum and take a look at it, uh, it's going to be very, very interesting. You know, we're, we're talking to uh, Paul Kozel, and he's with the Ford Motor, actually the Ford Trimotor, uh, I don't know if to call it exhibit or history event, coming out at Lorraine County Airport on the 8th through 11th of July, and you can come out and see a Ford Trimotor and actually go for a ride in it and uh, talking about uh, living history. Uh, Paul, are you going to be up there during that time? Yeah, yeah, I should also, uh, the 8th, uh, the rides on Thursday is going to be from 2 to 5, and there's a media ride, too, if you're interested. And then uh, of Friday, Saturday, Sunday, um, 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. at Lorain County Airport, we'll be uh, hosting it. Rides are first come, first serve. Um, we try to get a plane full. The plane holds nine people, and uh, uh, so te- and, a, and a right seater, so we, we, we try to get ten people on board it's about a 15 20 minute ride and it's it's like stepping back in time well excellent we're gonna take a short break we're talking to paul uh Kozel about the ford trimotor coming up here to the northern ohio here in july and we're gonna take a short break we'll be back after these words so don't go away you're listening to nick phillips here on the advocate we'll be back don't go away Welcome back, Cleveland. Nick Phillips with, with you for our final segment of The Advocate for tonight. We're talking to Paul Kozel concerning the Ford Trimotor coming out to Lorain County in early July. And uh, it's your chance to come out and see living history. Uh, so, yeah, Paul, the, this aircraft, 1928, that's only like about 11 or 12 years after the Wright brothers first flew something, right? Crazy, huh? And then 20 years later, uh, they had uh, they were already developing jet engines. It's amazing. And then by 1969, we were landing people on the moon, which was amazing. Um, it is nice. Well, in any event, uh, for anyone who's considering coming out there to Lorraine to take a look at the aircraft and to, to go on a flight, I, I highly recommend it. Um, Paul, a couple of things I noticed. Uh, last time the plane was in the area that I, I was involved in was up at uh, Portage County Airport, went for the media ride. And uh, I look at the Ford Trimotor, and it, as we talked, made out of corrugated metal. It has three engines, three radial engines that look ancient. And um, there looked like wires and supports and all of this. But when that plane took off and was flying, I, I never experienced something so solid. Uh, that, that aircraft is not a rickety old aircraft. It's old, but it's not rickety. It's pretty solid, isn't it? Yeah. it it's a truck. It flies like a truck. Um, it, it's, it's a truck now, and there's all the all the control surfaces, the the ailerons, the uh, the rudder, um, the elevator. They're all hardwired, so there's no hydraulic help like modern day aircraft have today. So it takes a lot of muscle to move that thing and, it uh, and, and keep and it going. Funny, the um, steering wheel are from Ford Model T. So oh, really? Automobiles, steering wheels. Yeah, so when you look at the cockpit, you'll see some of the older instruments. Um, and there's some pretty modern-day instruments, too, today, because we're when we when we tour, we take it from airport to airport, and we'd like uh, to use our GPS system. Um, but it, it looks like just an old truck. It's so neat. It's so beautiful. 
Well, and then the uh, engines, I think the starting up of a radial engine is still a fascinating bit of mechanics watching that happen. Um, t- tell me about the, the fact that this aircraft is flying from 1928 and those engines look like they're in pretty good shape. Where do you get spare parts for a Ford Trimotor? Yeah. Well, this airplane was originally uh, was, came equipped with Wright engines. Um, what we have on them now are Pratt & Whitney 985s. And the Pratt & Whitney 985 is a very popular radial engine. It runs about 450 horsepower, and, uh, and, and there's, there was plenty of them around. The Twin Beaches used to fly with them. And uh, we, I imagine EAA and their mechanics are always looking for parts and pieces. But, you know, they, they do have several engines as well that, we, uh, that, that are constantly being rebuilt. Um, it does have to follow certain maintenance requirements just like any ride program would. Uh, in today's world. So these guys are always working on it. It's it's a pretty amazing, it's amazing how you can take an old airplane, rebuild it, tour it, and then give, you know, it, you know and, and keep maintaining it, you know, to the highest level, to the highest standard. The, the airplane, even though it's from 1928, uh, what kind of certifications or upgrades or uh, checks do you need to do for satisfying the FAA, for example? Well, so there's three types of certifications. You have a standard certified airplane, which is a Cessna a Piper, and this is a standard certified airplane. It was certified by the FAA in standard category. So it's uh, we can use it for air tour operations. In fact, this one used to fly over the Grand Canyon for a while, too, um, and, and it's mid... In its 30s and 40s, it used to give Grand Canyon tours, this particular airplane. Uh, and there's limited category, which is like a Warbird or a B-17, um, which require different limitations and different um, FAA guidance. Uh, and then you have the experimental aircraft category, which is people that build airplanes in their garages, and that's what that's what happened. To, that's how ex- the Experimental Aircraft Association got made or, or got founded, um, just by people tinkering in their garage. Well, it's certainly interesting. Yeah. And, and as we're talking, I'm thinking about what I've seen of Ford Trimotors. Uh, when a Ford Trimotor will start flying back toward the airport, if you're on the ground looking for it, it looks like a huge flying wing. That that wing is awfully thick, isn't it? It's it's huge. It is, it, and it, it creates a lot uh, a lot of lift, but it also creates a lot of drag. I mean. They didn't know what lift, thrust, drag, and weight really was when they were building airplanes in the 20s. And look at how the science and the modern-day airplanes have evolved. I mean, the, the same principles still apply. The wing goes through the air, it provides lift, it goes up, and then it comes down. And this particular airplane needed three big radial engines to get it done. Get it moving fast enough to lift off the ground. Well, from what I remember, it, it lifts off the ground very smoothly when you're, you're taking off. You hardly notice it uh, lifting yeah. off. It just floats because of that wing, which is and fantastic. It's at about 80 miles an hour. That's it. Which is interesting because 80 miles an hour may sound fast for uh, I-71, but if you're looking at an airplane, it looks like it's almost uh, standing still, hardly moving at all, exactly. very slow. Exactly. So, what's what's the actual yep. touchdown speed when you're flying, uh, coming in for a landing? Eighty. So we take off at eighty. We uh, we we cruise at eighty, land at eighty, land at eighty. And that's uh, you know that's kind of 
standard for like older um, airplanes and tail draggers as well. You know. Well, it makes it easy for your test. You just need to know one airspeed. <laughs> <laughs> What's hey, the airspeed for how? All the same. It's all eighty. Oh my goodness. Well, uh, when when people come out there, do they have to sign up for flights uh, before they get there, or can they do that when they arrive, or how does that work? You can order your seats. Yeah, you can you can pre-order your seats online by going to eaa.org and search for the Ford, or you go to flytheford.org. I'll say that again. It's flytheford.org. Flytheford.org. Oh, excellent. Yep. And, um, advanced, advanced tickets are a little cheaper. Oh, excellent. So people, if they can check that out, the, um, hopefully I just picture, again, we're talking about from the 8th to the 11th of July out of Lorain County Airport. Uh, we're, we're talking about beautiful weather each of those days, right? Uh, what, what happens if so. the weather, what if it's a little rainy? Are you going to extend the stay out there or people can fly no, another day? It's kind of like a commercial airline, right? If if it's canceled by weather, it's canceled by weather. So it's uh, got another obligation after it leaves us. So we'll uh, we'll hopefully get enough good weather for that week to get our rides in. You know, you you can't predict Mother Nature, but but we will. All, we only fly her in good weather on safe days. That's for sure. If people want to follow in your footsteps and uh, volunteer to. Uh, help out with these uh, these old aircraft. Uh, what should they do, or how can they get in touch with someone, or maybe meet people there at the airport? Well, I, I, this uh, our EAA chapter twelve fifty two. So EAA has local chapters as a local chapter in the area, and that's a great place mm-hmm. to network. Um, come on out to the airport. Ask for me at Discover Aviation Center. Um, I'd be happy to show you around. Uh, you know, you can always you know. The, the the hardest part I think for some people is getting past the fence. You know, sometimes you got to get past that fence, and once you see what's on the other side, it's it's very humbling. It's a, a wonderful place to be, and aviation is is just a really really amazing thing. And it's 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 for everybody. You don't have to be rich to be an aviator. You don't you know if I you know I did it. You know, it's just a humble farm kid from Wisconsin. So. Oh my goodness. Well, I, I, I know about it. Oh, well, I noticed about aviation, wherever you go, uh, first off, everybody who is an aviation enthusiast is, in fact, an aviation enthusiast, and they like other aviation enthusiasts. So the result is is that when you meet people, they're all extremely friendly and helpful. So um, if you're looking for something to get involved with and go and see what's happening, this this would be it. Well, very good. Well, Paul, we'll be seeing you out at Lorraine County coming up. What days are you going to be there? You be every day, Nick. I'll be there. I'll be there every day. Come on out. Check us out. Well, we'll be look. We'll be looking for you, and uh, see you uh, the Ford Trimotor. That's gonna be a lot of fun. Now, is that gonna be right at the main FBO or the main office, or are they gonna be off some other part yeah. of the airport? It, uh, it'll be right in right in front of the uh, FBO, like you said, the main office. As you drive through the gate, it'll be on the right hand side. On the tenth, we're having a pancake breakfast and. Young Eagles Rally, which is we're going to be giving free rides to kids between the ages of 8 and 17. Um, volunteer pilots take their planes and their their gas and their money and their time. And uh, if you're between the ages of 8 and 17, you can get a free ride in a small airplane. Outstanding. So, and we'll move well, it over towards Discover. We'll, it'll be over at the Discover Aviation Center on the 10th. But the rest of the rides will be in front of the 
the main hangar. Very good. Well, Paul, we'll be looking for you out of Lorain County uh, between the 8th and 11th. So thank you for joining us tonight. Thanks for having me, Nick. Thank you so much, and thank you for listening. We'll be back next week, same time, same station. So between now and then, have a great, uh, enjoyable, safe, and healthy weekend. We'll talk to you next week. Bye-bye. And I sat and watched the Zanzibar sunset Sat and drank my fresh mint tea With nothing to do